It's early March 2020. In Miami, thousands of tourists bustle through the streets, crowding in restaurants and bars. The tourists are all here for one reason, to make the most of the Sunshine State. We've been waiting for Miami spring break for a while. About two months we've had this trip planned. Two, three months. We're just out here having a good time. If I get corona, I get corona. At the end of the day, I'm not going to let it stop me from partying. Panic starts to spread about the novel coronavirus. And Florida threatens new restrictions. Heightened states of emergency across the nation as a number of coronavirus cases soars above 3,000. Tonight, elected officials taking unprecedented measures to keep people safe. Florida's stay-at-home order takes effect Thursday at midnight, and it comes as the state is nearing 7,000 cases. Restaurant closures, maximum gatherings of just 10 people, and maybe even blocking off beaches. What is there to do here other than go to the bars or the beach and they're closing all of it? It's really messing I think they're blowing it way out of proportion. I think it's doing way too much. I'm going to be doing an executive order today. That's Florida uh, Governor Ron DeSantis. Uh, directing all Floridians to limit movements and personal interactions outside the home to only those necessary to obtain or provide essential services or conduct essential activities. Giant hotel chains, the Marriott's, the Hilton's, the massive resorts that line the beaches and banks of Florida call for nationwide furloughs. Today, Marriott announced it will begin furloughing tens of thousands of employees. The company also says the employees will not be paid during this time. Disney World, SeaWorld, Universal Studios, they all close their gates. Disney World alone will furlough 43,000 of its Florida employees. For waiters, hotel staff, Uber drivers, spring break in Florida usually means a huge influx of cash. It's one of the most important times of the year in a state whose economy is driven by tourism. But this year, there's an eerie understanding among staff in Miami. This spring break is the beginning of something really, really bad. Our country is in the midst of a great national trial. It's a matter of life and death. I'm Elliot Williams, and this is Made to Fail. At least 660 lives lost in the U.S. today just from COVID-19, and it's especially... The series takes you state by state through the policies, the programs, the systems that have been designed to let us down, both in the good times and the times we face now. The death toll in this country surpassing 20,000. Tonight, as the toll rises to staggering levels, reports the U.S. has surpassed China with over 80,000 since the start of the outbreak. And we're not just following this roadmap of failure through the country. We're looking for a way out. Well, the most imminent threat of this virus is to our physical health. For many Americans, there is another existential threat. How do I pay my rent? How do I put food on the table? My name is Lily, Lillian, but um, people just call me Lily. I'm a, I'm a waitress at a resort in South Beach. And it's a luxury hotel, and I mean, I really loved working there. I mean, I still work there, you know, <laughs> but I'm just not currently there right now because I'm still on furlough. By March 2020, tens of thousands of hospitality workers in Florida would be fired or furloughed from their jobs. Lily is one of those people. The only word from her employer was that this would all be temporary. Everybody didn't know what was going on. So there was like 
okay, it's just gonna be for like a couple weeks, you know, like maybe we're gonna have to close down. I don't remember the exact date, but it, it had to be like a couple days before the 16th of March. They're like, okay, well, we're just gonna close. And they told us, hey, so we're gonna be closed like for two months. And we're like, huh? Everybody was like, oh my God, okay, now what? You know, so they're like, okay, well, don't worry because you're gonna get a letter that's gonna say that you're going to be laid off for for this time and you just have to show that to the unemployment office uh online they're going to uh you know give you your benefits i was like okay they're gonna take care of the stuff and we're gonna be fine now i don't have to worry about anything no very 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 far from the truth very far from the truth indeed as expenses and bills pile up, Lily begins to wonder about that support she was promised. Um, a few weeks go by. I'm like, okay, so where's my money? <laughs> you know, like, what's going on? Even today, months after spring breakers have come and gone, there are Floridians who still have not seen a penny in benefits. And Lily isn't the only one. My name is Lauren Long, and I live in Orlando, Florida. My husband is a full-time musician. He's been playing professionally for about 10 years now. It's actually how we met. Uh, I was a bartender at a little Irish pub, and he was the musician. <laughs> and, uh, and so I've been his manager now for about four years. Three months is way too long for people to still be sitting here wondering where they're going to get their first payment. And I know how much that's a hard feeling because up until yesterday, my husband and I didn't have any payments this whole time. Let's explain for a minute what unemployment insurance is. If you're laid off through no fault of your own, in most cases you qualify for what is known as unemployment benefits. That's a small sum of money paid to individuals after they're terminated in order to help cover the cost and transition of working Americans. The fund draws from an unemployment insurance that all businesses pay into as a tax, so that if an employee is ever laid off, their payments will be drawn from that collective pool. These programs largely adhere to a similar process. If you're laid off, there's a safety net. But every state is different, and it's especially different in Florida. It's administered by Florida's Department of Economic Opportunity, or the DEO. The DEO calls it Florida's Reemployment Assistance Service, or the Connect System. With the actual Connect System, literally everybody that I know has had an issue with it. Actually, I lie. There's one person that I know out of everybody that I know that didn't really have an issue with it, but that's it. Well, the main challenge would be to actually get through to somebody. I mean, there's, I've, I've gotten through what, in the first two months, I got through one time after calling five days a week because it wouldn't be available on the weekends. Um, the, the site would be closed on the weekends. The first month or two was just nonstop glitches at, to where you would just get to a place and truly could not go past it and have to start all over. I got locked out. I got locked out of my account. So that was just, that was just like really frustrating. And I just, I felt so stuck. I felt like helpless. Like my employers are helping me. The state isn't helping me. Like nobody knows anything. As of June, more than 40 million Americans will have filed for unemployment benefits. That's as if the entire state of California, the most populated state in the country, was out of a job. The Bureau of Labor Statistics reported an unemployment rate higher than every year since the Great Depression, and the numbers are still rising. But there's something especially bad going on in Florida. 
And with thousands of workers in South Florida losing their jobs, the state will see an unprecedented number of unemployment claims in the coming days. Well, it probably won't surprise you to find out that Florida ranks near the bottom. Here are the, few the DEO calculates that the majority of the jobs lost, close to half a million, come from the hospitality industry. Unfortunately, despite what Lily and Lauren's families have been through, they're not exceptions in Florida. In fact, delayed payments, computer glitches, hold music heard ad nauseum, that's what nearly every single user faces when they try to log into the Connect system. This reemployment assistance system is practically impossible to navigate, and it almost seems like it was built to be that way. It's a mess. It's an utter, complete mess. It's become a full-time job to be unemployed. My name is Anna V. Escamani, and I'm the State House Representative for District 47 in the Florida Legislature. District 47 makes up a big portion of Central Florida, downtown Orlando, Winter Park, Belle Isle, and Edgewood. It holds about 130,000 voters. Escamani's team fields phone calls and emails from constituents every day who can't get through the Connect system. She's compiled a list of 8,500 of them. Florida has failed the people so drastically. We have Floridians who've been applying for benefits since March and still have not seen a penny. We have some Floridians that have finally started to see benefits, but then benefits stopped or their $600 FPUC payment stopped. And some people have been evicted. Some people live in their cars. Some folks can't afford medicine. Um, they can't put dinner on the table for their kids. By the end of March, not even 8% of unemployed Floridians had received benefits. At least 700,000 of them are still waiting. And those are just the ones who could make it through the Connect system in the first place. But the system's failure was not caused by the COVID-19 pandemic. I mean, everybody knows how the unemployment uh, thing is in, in Florida. It's all tied to a history of no safety nets within our state. Even back in 2015, less than half of all unemployed Floridians saw any benefits. This weak safety net can be traced all the way back to 2011. Almost a decade before COVID-19 battered the Sunshine State, a different force antagonized Floridians taking the oath of office as the 45th governor of Florida, Mr. Richard Scott. Clear goals and hard work can achieve amazing things. Once we take the right steps, I'm absolutely convinced that Florida will become the most exciting place in the world to live and work. Rick Scott, a healthcare millionaire with no experience in politics, won in 2010 as a Tea Party candidate after spending around $60 million of his own money on his campaign. Though calling him a healthcare millionaire and calling it his own money is perhaps too generous. Scott was CEO of a giant hospital corporation when it was fined over a billion dollars for Medicare fraud. But that's a story for another podcast. And he ran on this whole platform of jobs, jobs, jobs. That was Governor Rick Scott's entire campaign mantra. America was built on the promise that anyone could succeed who was willing to work hard. So for me, job creation is an absolute mission. Keep in mind that Scott ran for governor as the economy was recovering from the Great Recession of 2008. Just like today, Floridians were experiencing massive waves of layoffs. 
millions of Americans were unemployed. Many state unemployment systems were in overdrive. And the funds that fed those systems were running out of cash. So lots of states, including Florida, raised taxes on businesses. That made a lot of business owners unhappy in the 2010 and 2012 elections, and several states elected Republican governors who promised to reverse those tax hikes. So Scott ran on the campaign slogan, let's get to work, and voters responded to it. He took office in January 2011. May God bless the great state of Florida. Let's get to work. Thank you very much. During Rick Scott's incumbency, unemployment insurance policy began to shift in Florida. In fact, within the first six months of his term, Scott started by renaming the whole thing. He changed the unemployment system to be dubbed reemployment system. That shift from unemployment to reemployment mirrored the jobs, jobs, jobs mentality that Scott had won on. Changing that little prefix might seem small, but it's the first look into Scott's intentions for UI. He never planned on supporting unemployed Floridians. Not really. Starting today, I work for every Floridian. Yes. Michelle Evermore, a senior policy analyst at the National Employment Law Project, explained that Rick Scott wasn't planning to focus on them much at all. Yeah, so in 2011, Florida actually enacted some of the most punishing uh, anti-worker legislation uh, that any state has passed. And he pretty much confirmed it when he signed House Bill 7005. That summer, the legislature passed the bill that made it clear who Scott was really helping. The bill itself says it will, in this order, save the state money, reduce taxes on employers, and help Floridians get back to work. The DEO calculated that the new bill would save millions for Florida's Unemployment Compensation Trust Fund and would lower taxes for all Florida employers to far below the national average. And in regards to helping Floridians get back to work, Scott's and the legislature's solution was to cut benefits. The bill slashed unemployment benefits to a maximum of 12 weeks if the unemployment rate was 5% or below. That maximum would go up to 23 weeks if the unemployment rate was 10.5% or higher. But when the bill was passed, the state's unemployment rate was already at 11.1%. Scott knew exactly what he was doing, cutting benefits to blunt the massive increase in unemployment taxes that was looming for businesses. As a result, were the maximum benefits $275 a week. You know, workers only are entitled to a maximum of 12 weeks of unemployment insurance now, where it's, you know, 26 weeks is the standard. If you asked a, a, a company, they would say that Florida is one of the best for, for unemployment because the tax rate is so low. That's because the benefit is so low. You know, $275 a week is nothing for a Floridian to survive on. And that was the program that was crafted in 2011. That's it should help you understand how worker-unfriendly they deliberately designed the program to be. For starters, the new bill required a lengthy math, reading, and research skills test. They had a 45-question skills assessment that people had to fill out before they could even start filling out their unemployment insurance claim. 
And then came everything else. Proof of contact with potential employers, tax documents, proof of ability to work, proof of valid unemployment status. At any of these stages, if a user was unable to provide DEO with defined proof, they were deemed ineligible and kicked out of the system. They'd have to start all over again. And perhaps the biggest hoop of all, effective late that summer, all unemployment claims had to be filed online using a brand new $77 million unemployment website. The state hired Deloitte Consulting to build an online system that could house all of these new re-employment efforts. It was named the Connect System. The Florida Department of Economic Opportunity presents a guide to reporting your employment information during the application. It is important that you provide all employment for the last 18 months. Whether the names of the dates of your employment, part time, the first day you physically work, and the last day you physically work. If you have multiple pages, additional questions for you, it's important to respond timely and how back final forms you receive. You start by adding basic information your name, date of birth, then are sent to another page. Then you fill in more boxes as you scroll down and submit a few more bits of information at a time. Then click to a new page and hope it's all being saved. Each time you hit submit, a new page has to load. There's a time limit you can spend on each page before it cuts you out. Also, the information gets more and more obscure. They made everything online, and my assumption is they didn't want to pay for staff you know, to actually maintain the program and be available to folks over the phone um, you know, if, they, if they need more assistance. Due to delays, the site didn't go live until 2013. But once it did, users began experiencing issues that Floridians are still struggling with today. I am calling in reference to um, redeeming unemployment that I've been waiting on for five and a half months. I, I think I've complied with everything that they've asked me to, and I just keep getting the runaround. It kept thousands of UI claimants from being able to access the new computer system for any number of reasons. In fact, in 2013, the Connect system was found to be discriminatory by the U.S. Department of Labor. They found that it discriminated against limited English proficient people and those with disabilities that might make using a computer impossible. But even for those who did make it through the Connect system, who were approved for benefits, they still had to fight to get them. Before Rick Scott was elected, Florida paid 78% of its initial unemployment claims on time. At the end of his first term, the state was paying aid on time to only 27% of claims. Yet Scott was reelected for a second term one month later under the campaign slogan, Let's Keep Working. I just received a call from Charlie Chris. But a state that's designed to fail workers is going to collapse, and that's what happened in Florida. It just completely collapsed. I, I am... And that mission is to keep growing and to become the very best place in the world to get a job, to raise a family, and live the American dream. But the story doesn't end there. Let's return to 2020. 
Breaking news, Governor Ron DeSantis calling for an investigation into the state's unemployment website. The system has been under immense pressure since non-essential businesses were ordered to close in the state. There's a lot of money that went into this, and uh, this is going back, looking. I've talked to different people in the legislature. I've talked to citizens and taxpayers. People want an accounting to pay that much money, and then all the problems we've had to deal with, you know, it's a big problem. And so uh, I am going to be uh, directing the uh, inspector general. Ron DeSantis has faced a lot of criticism for his handling of the pandemic. His administration has hired three different contractors to field calls and handle server errors, costing the state $110 million. But what's going on in Florida is more than a shady contract, and fixing it will take more than a server upgrade. I, I am concerned that in Florida, everybody's looking at the computer system as being the problem, and it's really a computer system programmed with the prejudice against workers. Do you believe that the system was in part put together the way it was to discourage people from being able to collect I think that was the animating philosophy. I mean, having studied how, how it was internally constructed, I think the goal was, for whoever designed it was, let's put as many kind of pointless roadblocks along the way so people just say, oh, the hell with it, I'm not going to do that. And, uh, Some Florida politicians have blamed the system's problems on Deloitte. That's the contractor the state used to help build the new online system. DeSantis himself has faulted the system created in 2013 while Rick Scott was governor. It was designed with all these different things to, to basically fail, I think. The fact that the state paid $77 million for this thing, I mean, it's a jalopy. But that same year, Deloitte also helped Massachusetts build its online system using the same basic framework. And even today, amidst the millions of coronavirus layoffs, Massachusetts has one of the highest paying unemployment insurance systems in the country. And then there's the issue of the audits. In 2019, Ron DeSantis became the 46th governor of Florida. And that spring, an audit landed on his desk about the DEO's Connect system. It stated that this audit was the fifth that highlighted issues with Connect. A similar audit had been received by Rick Scott for the past four years. And now the list of problems was longer than 600. The audit reported that only a handful of these problems had been corrected. So for five years, the Auditor General warned Florida's governor about the flawed Connect system. And for five years, Rick Scott's and Ron DeSantis's administrations both did nothing to fix it. Today, as layoffs push unprecedented numbers of users into the system, you don't have to read through an audit to find all of its problems. Just read the news. They're everywhere. Ginger, the folks who work here at the Florida Department of Economic Opportunity acknowledge they have a big problem due to that overwhelming number of people applying to this office for unemployment benefits, and they say they are scrambling to fix it. We are doing everything that we can to increase our capability as quickly as possible. Thank you for calling the Florida Reemployment Assistance Authentication Line. New documents obtained by an NBC affiliate uncovered people manning unemployment lines answered 2% of the calls with an average wait time of 75 to 120 minutes. There's what I've been told is a slew of numbers, uh, but I'm optimistic that with the system that we put in place and the automation that we put in place, it'll make sure things can, you know, can work faster. In Fort Myers, one couple tells NBC2 they stayed on the phone for more than 11 hours and still didn't get through. Now the question is, why? Why did these administrations do nothing? Representative Eskimani has a theory. 
And the system was built to be broken, right? It wasn't supposed to work. It was supposed to dissuade people from applying for unemployment benefits because it was too difficult and the benefit was too low. And so does Michelle Evermore. Scott, at the time, was really looking to limit access. He said so publicly, thinking that that would somehow get people back to work faster. This is another problem with an underlying philosophy. Some people believe that the unemployment insurance system somehow has, has this moral hazard and it, it discourages people from going back to work and getting benefits. Scott and the legislature designed a system that they hoped would aggressively lower the unemployment figure. And here's how. If the system only allowed a select few through, then the number of unemployed claimants would drop, which to some may seem like the unemployment rate itself was dropping. But in reality, that wasn't the case at all. Thus maintaining inaccurate unemployment rates and keeping the trust fund solvent. And when the trust fund is solvent, corporations don't have to pay more, more into it. Like I said, it's clear who Rick Scott and the legislature really intended to help. And when the well-being of corporations is prioritized above everything else, unemployed Floridians will always come in last. The computer system technology has a little bit to do with whether people can access benefits, but really the computers are programmed based on policy. And in Florida's case, the policy is designed to favor the state and the corporations that influence the legislature. It's not the computer system that's broken. It's the policy. A policy that Rick Scott may have created, but one that Ron DeSantis has only perpetuated. And this approach leaves workers at their most vulnerable. And unfortunately, this problem, this negative view about unemployment as a whole, it goes far beyond the Sunshine State. Five weeks. And looking at, right now, the biggest states, and what you see is that California, by far leading. And the rest of the big states, Pennsylvania, uh, New York, Texas, in that 1.3, 1.4 range. Now, that only Paid in North Carolina, those claims total $4.6 billion. However, tens of thousands of claims are still pending. And for years, WREL investigates exposed continuing problems in the state unemployment system. Those problems recently magnified by a flood of coronavirus-related claims. I would say that Florida is uniquely bad, but I think that the big problem in the U.S. With, with regard to unemployment insurance is we just don't pay any attention to it when times are good. You know, when you look at the states that have deliberately and legislatively cut benefits and you, you lay over that a map of states that have high Black and Latinx populations, you know, there's, there's a huge overlap. The vindictive nature of our system to make it hard for black workers to access the system just pops out. This is William Spriggs. I'm a professor of economics at Howard University and the chief economist to the AFL-CIO. Spriggs was also the assistant secretary for policy at the Department of Labor under President Obama. So to get to the root of the problem, we have to look at how unemployment insurance started in the U.S. It's the 1930s. The Great Depression is in full swing. Unemployment rates hover at around 24%, which means nearly one in every four Americans is out of a job. 
a few states, Wisconsin, Massachusetts, Ohio, they began small-scale unemployment programs. This was to put pressure on employers to protect workers they'd laid off. The models worked well enough that by 1935, FDR was ready to sign a federal program into law under the Social Security Act. But policymakers had to decide, would the system be federalized or run at the state level? The National Urban League's former research director and the NAACP testified, do not give it to the states, they will discriminate. And Congress decided as a compromise so that the Southerners would agree, uh, we'll give it to the states. And exactly, so they can discriminate. Southern states kept agricultural and domestic workers from accessing unemployment insurance benefits. Most of those workers were black. Um, this system has punishments, like, you know, printed in capital letters over top it. They, they resent that black people got to be free, and they resent that they then had to contract with blacks as equals. Today, though agricultural and domestic workers are now technically offered benefits, the brunt of exclusion has been transferred onto gig workers and hospitality employees. And when you look at their unemployment rate, their unemployment rate is somewhere around 19, 20% right now. Only 7.8% of the unemployed workers in that industry got unemployment insurance across the country. Who in their right mind would say, oh, here's my plan. We're going to shut down an industry that employs 12.6 million people, the size of the entire manufacturing workforce of the United States. And we know they don't get unemployment insurance. Good luck. Wouldn't you think somebody should raise their hand and go, wait, time out, time out. That doesn't sound like a plan. Most of these employees are people of color, and a lot of them are women. So it's not surprising. Women are less likely than men to apply. Women are less likely to get unemployment if they're unemployed. And similarly, it's not a shock that African Americans and Hispanics are less likely to get unemployment insurance compared to whites. So the whole system, you know, is really designed for that kind of discrimination. By midsummer of 2020, black people were unemployed at a rate 5% higher than white people. And that was the widest difference seen so far during the COVID era, with almost zero indication that it would shrink anytime soon. If you want to stop any systemic bias in a system, particularly if you want to stop racism or sexism. You don't allow this. These are just the people who actually apply for benefits. The reality is most don't. Only 25% of unemployed people even apply. And the whole point of the system is to get that number to be that low, if not lower. So back to Florida. In the case of Florida, it's like so complicated. Who can make sense of this? Can you understand the frustration of a worker trying to figure out, do I qualify here? I mean, I don't even, I don't even, I can't even follow what this guy is saying. <laughs> you know, this is harder than doing your taxes by far. And the system was built to be broken, right? It wasn't supposed to work. When you look at the history of the unemployment program in the United States and what it was designed to do, to disadvantage black and brown workers, to keep out women, to lower taxes for the states, and to increase trust funds, 
doesn't DeSantis's investigation ring a little bit hollow? If we don't do serious unemployment insurance reform now, there's going to be so much more pressure coming out of this. Ten states have already applied for federal loans. States are already running out of their unemployment insurance trust funds. I am sure that by the end of this, every state will have depleted their trust fund. There's going to be unprecedented pressure to cut systems even more. That terrifies me. That's what's keeping me up at night. The state-based system simply does not make sense in the current world we live in. If a system was built on the grounds of discrimination, with the intent to punish most and reward just a few, that system cannot be fixed. It can only be replaced. If you're going to do comprehensive reform of the unemployment insurance program, we have to get away from this current federal state program. That's Spriggs's colleague, Steve Wander. Wander is a labor economist at the Upjohn Institute and a senior fellow at the National Academy of Social Insurance. He's been thinking about UI reform since the 90s because it's been clear to him that the system as it is is not working. He laid out three potential solutions in his 2018 book, Unemployment Insurance Reform. But since the COVID recession, as he calls it, he's picked a clear favorite. It would be easier and more efficient to have a single national program. We can't do anything about that now, but if there was a national system in place, it would mean that if there is another severe recession in the future, the United States and the unemployment insurance system would be ready for it. Well, we have to make it federal because we have to remove it from this level of discretion that the states have. Then it's this larger vision for a state that actually gives a damn. And for a state that doesn't ground one person's success on another person's failure, but one that instead lifts up everyone and, and creates an abundance of joy and safety that everyone benefits from. Turning Florida into one of the first experiments in a new federalized system would take a lot of work. The program would essentially be transformed to look like another part of the Social Security Act, old age pension. Old age pension is run through the Social Security Administration. Wander envisions a federalized unemployment insurance program running kind of the same way. By Wander's calculations, a federalized system would cost the same, if not less, for states than it does now. And besides, the current system, for all intents and purposes, it struck out. The unemployment insurance system has gone bankrupt in the 1980s. They went bankrupt in 2008, just 10 years ago. They're going to go bankrupt this time. And it's like, okay, when, when will we learn our lesson? This is three times the system has gone bankrupt. Each time the system goes bankrupt, the state's federal loans and debts increase. Then the states get stingy because not only do they have to maintain their current system, but as the economy is expanding, they have to figure out how do I pay back for the last recession. And that means you either raise taxes or you cut benefits. But before any of that will ever be possible, federalizing unemployment will require something else, something even bigger and perhaps even more outlandish. With the right political will, a bad system can be made good. There would have to be sufficient political will We've covered that Rick Scott is no longer governor of Florida. 
As many of you probably know, he graduated from governor to senator in 2019. Let's get to work. Scott, along with a handful of other conservative senators, has fought federal unemployment benefits wherever he can. In fact, he and three other senators tried to put a cap on UI benefits through the CARES Act, which has been the largest federal response to the pandemic so far. These senators claim that if unemployed people make too much money through benefits, they won't want to go back to work. Here's Rick Scott on the floor of the Senate. But we should not create a system where unemployment insurance benefits, benefits are higher than a salary. This bill creates an incentive for workers to be unemployed for the next four months. We cannot pay people more to not work than to work. This is basic common sense. His comments uh, regarding the people of Florida and the people of this country around $600 is too much and you know, folks don't want to work because of their benefits. I mean, it's all grounded in a political rhetoric and political ideology and disconnected from what's actually happening on the ground. But they act like, oh, you're just lazy. You, you should just, you know, get a job. And I'm like, if that were true, please let the Washington Nationals know I'm available to be center fielder. Let's not forget, for those who work in restaurants that haven't closed, it's downright dangerous to show up for your shift. But beyond the very real danger, there's evidence that conservatives' ideas about unemployment benefits are just wrong. For example, Michelle Evermore and her colleagues at NELP just released a study showing that 60% of unemployment claimants are doing worse under UI benefits than they were in their jobs. And in terms of unemployment, unlike federal unemployment benefits, there's no end in sight. Florida's current unemployment system was conceived at a time when conservative governors across the country were desperate to show how their administrations were reducing unemployment and creating jobs. But creating jobs isn't easy, especially if it's just so much easier to stop counting as many unemployed. You have to know that all those restaurants aren't coming back. And when workers lose their jobs permanently, then we know that they suffer permanent income loss. You can only create a job because there's demand and other people have income. If everybody loses their income, you ain't creating nothing. But this message seems to get lost on conservative politicians, including the president. And we'll end this pandemic and we will rebuild the greatest economy in the history of the world. African-Americans just set a record for new jobs just now during the pandemic the last month. The current president has been cooking up his own plan for undermining our working class, all the while paying lip service to worker benefits. Therefore, I'm taking executive action. We've had it. The other one it was this $400 in enhanced unemployment benefits. The reason why this is a little bit complex and convoluted is that it's actually only $300 of federal money. They are asking states will be asked to cover 25% of the cost using existing funding. I got off the phone with one state official immediately after this announcement who laughed when I told him about the announcement and said, we just don't have that money. We've been asking for federal help now. And of course, this is something we have heard. Nebraska Republican Ben Sass called Mr. Trump's plan unconstitutional slop. And even the president acknowledged legal challenges are likely. I think the fact that it's not entirely known is very telling. Either the president doesn't know what he's talking about, clearly his aides don't know what he is talking about, and or something's very wrong here. 
The political will to fix this problem has to come from members of Congress who are willing to admit that the current system is broken. Members of Congress who can say, we messed this up. We prioritize the wrong things in the system, and it's time to build a new one. It will take a coalition of states, maybe Florida and North Carolina, who can stand as models for a federal program. They need to be willing to accept that they won't get it right entirely or immediately, and that it will take patience and perseverance. Most importantly, a federalized unemployment insurance system can only happen when we pay attention to our country's most vulnerable communities. When we listen to the stories of those who are most directly affected by the systems designed to keep them out. I was starting like the process of buying a home, you know, and now all that money is gone. These people did nothing wrong. They showed up to work every day and then were almost immediately laid off. Being unemployed is stressful enough, and being unemployed with no income with kids is also another burden, and not knowing where you're going to live is another burden, and all of these things are such huge burdens to make the process such an added stress in an already super stressful situation. Like, I could have done so many more productive things with my day than to spend, like, hours and hours and hours fighting for money that it's my benefit. Like, that not that what a benefit is? Like, <laughs> something that, that, you know, is owed to you? If we're going to reform a system, then we need to start helping the Lilies and the Laurens of the world, not throwing roadblocks in the way of their basic survival. I really didn't even want to be part of Florida anymore. They, I feel like they failed me. Like, I feel like Florida failed me. Made to Fail is produced by The Hub Project, Goat Rodeo, and The Roosevelt Institute. From The Hub Project, executive producer is Laura Hitalski. Producers are Sasha Stone, Zach Price, Sophie Elliott, and Dan Crawford. Arkady Gurney is executive director. From The Goat Rodeo team, executive producer is Megan Nadolsky. Producers are Shar Dreyer and Zachary Frank. Ian Enright is chief executive officer. From The Roosevelt Institute, senior producer is Steph Sterling. Our host, that's me, is Elliot Williams. This episode was written by Shar Dreyer, Elliot Williams, and the good people at The Hub Project. Special thanks to Representative Anna V. Escamani, Michelle Evermore, William Spriggs, and Steve Wandner. A very special thanks to Lillian Lauren for sharing their stories. You're listening to a performance from Lauren's husband, Scotty Long. He's playing the Florida State song, which is called, ironically, Old Folks at Home. To hear more of his music, visit scottylongsmusic.com. To learn more about how conservative policies have set up millions of Americans for failure in the face of a crisis, visit madetofail.org. Subscribe to Made to Fail on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app so you don't miss the next episode. If you like this episode, please leave us a rating or review and share it with your friends. And if you want to continue the conversation online, we're on social media. We're at Made to Fail Pod on Twitter, Made to Fail on Facebook, and Made to Fail Podcast on Instagram. Thanks for listening. You're listening to Goat Rodeo. Keep an ear out for us.